Women of color and capital is one of the largest convenings of women of color in the U.S. to discuss access to business capital, finance, and growing wealth. This is Michelle McKenzie, and welcome to the WTF Podcast, where we demystify entrepreneurship and the fog around funding. My guest today is Adiola Adejobi, the founder and CEO of Avantgarde Network, a leading social and impact company that creates social and economic impact through a collaborative ecosystem of industry professionals, business leaders, and entrepreneurs. She created the Women of Color and Capital Conference, where diverse women entrepreneurs and professionals come together to learn about money, finance, capital, and investing. In this episode, you'll learn about the major access barriers to capital for women of color, what must happen to reduce the barriers to capital for women of color, five key action steps that women of color can take to improve their access to investment capital, and the importance of highlighting industries that need more diversity and ways to address the lack of diversity in certain industries. Adiola, welcome to the WTF podcast. Greetings. (laughs) I'm excited to be here with you. I am excited to have you. I met you recently at a Finance 101 event in D.C. that you're hosting, sponsored by J.P. Morgan Chase, as one of the lead-up events to your Women of Color and Capital Conference in New York. So I'd like to just jump into the conversation and ask you, what motivated you to start the Women of Color and Capital Conference? And what is the problem that this conference is solving? Yeah, I think what motivated me was a multitude of factors. One, being a business owner myself and trying to figure out, okay, how do I fund my company? Also thinking about at that time, this is like 2018, like women weren't really having conversations around money. It was seemed to be a little like taboo, if you will. Where it's like, why are you always talking about money? And I'm like, well, how do we create impact if we don't have the money to do it? So that's why having more money is important. Also thinking about the additional obligations that women have on their time as it relates to work, family, health, just a a whole myriad of things. And so I said, I think what would be helpful for women of color, Black women in particular, is for us to have a day that allows us to focus on ourselves, something that we can put on our calendar. And we know when I come on this day, I'm going to learn as much as I can about certain things. So for me, that's why I started the Women of Color and Capital Conference. But I started Women of Color and Capital overall because I'm like, we need to be comfortable talking about money. We need to know what's out there for us to help us in our businesses. And then also just learning more about investments. Because as we get older, what we find is a lot of the financial obligations end up being on women. And we can go into that's a whole different podcast on itself. But that's one of the reasons why, a couple of reasons why I started the Women of Color and Capital Initiative. Yeah, I identify with all of those reasons, but I want to know, how did you go from idea to action? So you recognize that this is something that needs to happen. Why did you think you were the one to make it happen? And how did you go from idea to action? Yeah, I am an executor, right? Before I started the Women of Color and Capital Conference, I had Avant-Garde Network and I had already been hosting events in New York probably for almost 10 years at that point already. And through my network, which is why networking is extremely important, I was able to build a lot of genuine connections with people over time. I think a lot of times when people think about networking, it's like, okay, well, 
how can I meet somebody and what can I get? And networking is not that. Networking is investing in a relationship so that if and when the time happens where you need something, you have a pool of people that you can call on as a resource to be able to implement some of the things that you want to do or get the help that you need to get. So for me, I'm like, I at this point now, I've probably hosted over 200 events. So hosting an event is, is really my forte. And I knew I was the one because I had the idea and I think it's important and I think there's going to be impact, especially for us, for Black women, like I'm going to do it, especially because I have a lot of the tools and the resources and networks and connections that a lot of other people don't have. Adiola, I want to pull on that networking string a little bit more. I used to be one of those persons who had that feeling about networking. I'm an introvert and I never did well at networking events because it's about energy. Too many people trying to go from person to person, not sure what the real connection points are between me and that person or how to do it. And in fact, it's starting this podcast has been the thing that has taught me about what authentic networking actually looks like. Right. Because it's an opportunity like you and I are here right now in a one-on-one locked-in conversation versus trying to work a room to see how many people I connect with and, you know, what they can do for me. So I think that networking piece is really important. And maybe that just the art of networking and how to use networking could be a topic for a whole other show. Yeah, for sure. Now, what are the major access barriers between women of color and capital? Yeah. If we're talking about owners, I'm going to take it to the very beginning, which would be that black and brown women are underpaid. Let's start there. You're putting in the same 40 hours plus a week than as someone else. And they're making a hundred thousand and a black woman is making 64,000 and a Hispanic woman is making 54,000. Right. So you don't have the extra capital to then be able to invest in your business to get the tools and resources, the products, the services that could help you expand your business more quickly. And I think with that, not having that extra capital hinders your growth because it's harder for you to get experts in your business because you can't afford to hire. So now you end up becoming a jack of all trades. Right. And that takes up more of your time and time is money. Now, let's talk about access as it relates to banks. If you're going to get a loan from a bank, they have to think that you can pay it back, right? And so if you're not at a point where you can generate enough revenue in your business to show that you actually have a business that generates revenue, then you don't get the loan, right? But because you didn't have the initial capital that you needed to get to the point of revenue generation, you're not getting it, right? Now we're going to talk about racism, because that's a big factor for women of color, right? The perception that, and I think the perception is on multiple fronts. The perception, one, within our community, that because the business owner is Black or of color, that they're too expensive for their product. Because we that we got to talk about that. So when you're not generating the amount of capital that you need for your business, now you can't get that loan. You can't get that funding. You can't get that angel. You can't prove that you can make that revenue in that business. Now, when we're talking about the institutionalized racism aspect of it, it's also that a lot of banks have got a lot of trouble or have gotten in trouble for this already. So the information's out there, but 
the perception that because this person is Black, woman of color, whoever, they cannot be successful. Because the thing is, a lot of these banks, they're actually, they're supposed to help you. They're supposed to tell you, this is what you need to do to be able to get the loan from us. You might not be able to get it now, but you could potentially get it later. And I think that since, I would say, national emergence of of Black Lives Matter, what happened with George Floyd, I think that there's a that people are more active in terms of actually trying to create those initiatives that solve that. But what I would say to that is we can't just wait on them. And and I would advise those who are looking to get capital in their business early on to really not necessarily, and not disregarding some of the larger banks, I think you can talk to them too, but their CDFIs where their mandate is to help you in your business. If you are in a major city, most cities have like a small business solutions center that can help you. you does it require more work? Definitely requires more work, right? More, more of your time. But I would say those are some of the solutions that are out there to be able to solve that. So I think for Black women it's all, it, and Black and Brown folks, it's just on multiple fronts, right? Your community thinking that your service is too expensive or not necessarily worth the cost. So how do we know that your business is going to be able to be successful? So I think there's definitely a lot of accountability on all ends when we're talking about lack of access to capital and what those barriers are. You said so much. Go through so many different aspects of that and be here for another hour, just breaking down so many of those things. The perception within the community of your pricing and what you're worth when those same members of the community would go and spend more than that somewhere else. Multiple and then that perception, mm-hmm. how that perception follows you when you interact with the finance institutions about your worth and whether or not you can deliver It's just so many different barriers and layers. It's way more nuanced than we would like to think because it's so multi-layered. Right. What are some changes that must happen in the funding ecosystem, whether it's bank, investments like venture capital, whatever it is, to reduce the barriers to capital for women of color? And what progress, if any, have you observed since you've been having these conferences? Yeah, I think in terms of the changes that need to be made, I think some banks have already started that where some of their requirements to work with them, they have reduced those. Some have provided funding to CDFIs because they can't necessarily do that work themselves for whatever reason. They've funded some CDFIs to be able to do that work. Adiola, define CDFI for persons listening who might not be familiar with the acronym. Oh, a CDFI is like, I don't even remember, I don't remember the, ex- the exact community development finance institution. Yes, there it is. <laughs> yeah, it's not a not-for-profit, but they have a different mandate. Banks also have investors and they have to give them a certain amount of returns. With CDFIs, it's not necessarily that way. They have an opportunity to um, take more risk, ultimately to help the community, since their mandate is different than a larger institution, they have more flexibility in terms of what they can offer and maybe some of the programs they can create. But back to your question about 
impact on some of the changes. There are some banks who have created their own specific programming. Goldman Sachs, for example, their One Million Black Women initiative. JP Morgan has had some initiatives that they've put out there, a lot of institutions. But how long are these programs going to exist? Another change that has happened in our community, which I think is extremely helpful, is us really challenging the perception of the value of our businesses and people being more deliberate about purchasing products and services from people of color. I think that that's important, Black, Brown, whoever, that has a significant impact because you have to be able to show that you're providing a service that someone wants. That's what a business is. Someone is willing to pay you for something. It's an exchange. And I think that those programs have been helpful. The thing about programs too sometimes is it's more of your time. I don't want to say take those things with a grain of salt. I just want to say that understand that you're going to have to spend more time in order to be able to get some of that capital. But what I will say is this, when black and brown businesses do get to the point where they can get capital, they do better. They overperform, they outperform their peers because they were bootstrapping. They know how to do more with less. They had to become more creative in their products, services, and solutions that they were providing. I think if we're going to drill it down to Black women specifically, from what I've seen in the data that we've collected is like the hardest point for our businesses is to get to the six-figure mark. That is the hardest. That is the number one hardest to consistently get to the six-figure dollar amount revenue. And I'm just not, I'm not even talking about net. I'm just saying making a hundred thousand in the business. And then from there being able to scale to a million, which I think the majority of us have the capability of doing, but building those tools, those resources, pivoting the business, understanding that, Hey, this business may not be structured in a way that's going to get me to where I want to go. I think those are the barriers. But again, when you're working your day job, because data has come out and showed that over 90% of Black women specifically work their day job when they're running their business, you don't even have the same amount of time as other people to have your business running so you can and get to time is currency and capital. Exactly. exactly, exactly. And then it's also one of those things where if we think about the connection of capital and opportunity, right? If we think about it was definitely up in arms when certain founders have failed publicly and created a lot of issues for their employees for them to then go and be able to raise 300 million or something ridiculous and step out the door with a billion dollar valuation with no idea, with nothing to show. They don't even have an MVP. And they're telling you, oh, this business is worth a billion dollars out the gate. But that's the power of privilege, right? Mm -hmm. That allows you to be able to fail and still come back and people still have confidence in you to give you your money. Mm -hmm. But Black founders do not have the privilege of failure. Mm -hmm. I was speaking to Kelly Jones, who was the managing director for 68 Capital, and she was telling me when she was raising capital, someone told her that if this fund fails, like, it'll be hard for other Black funds to get funded. And that's the perception. When you're Black and you fail, it's everybody's failure in the community. Right. But other people, they can fail 
it's their individual failure, but not just that. They can come back from it and come back really quick. Right. Right. And investors still have confidence in them, but that's not the same. And give them more money because they'll say they use the first business as a way. They've learned so many lessons. I'm speaking with Adjola Dejobi, the founder and CEO of the Avant Garde Network, a leading social impact company and the Women of Color and Capital Conference. What are five key action steps that women of color can take to improve their access to investment capital? This is a good one. I'm going to say first, I know you said investment capital, but I do want to make one quick caveat, which is not every business needs investor capital. Some people just need a small business loan. And I think that people don't realize like you can get a small business loan up to five, 10 million. You can get money from the bank. It's just about being structured. The structure goes back to what we said before, which is got to have your financial house in order. You've got to do your tax returns, bookkeeping. They're going to ask for all of that. You're most likely going to need to have some sort of statement of work or mission about your business, just having that stuff together. But at the bare bones minimum, your company needs to be making money. You need to have a five-year plan. You need to have five-year projections. And these are things that your accountant can help you with. But a lot of times folks don't have accountants or a CPA or whoever because they can't afford it. So now I got to pull it all the way back and say the main thing, which I think answers both questions about how you can get ready for investment, is your business has to be making money. My recommendation would be that people should research business models of what you think would be successful and then also what has been successful. Because sometimes you don't need to recreate the clues. Yeah, right. You don't need to recreate the wheel. Maybe the way you're doing it is not the way, you know, it it should be done. Maybe the clients that you're servicing should not be your clients. And I would say this too, for us, and I mean, I also have a social impact business, so Lord help me. But a lot of times we feel such a strong connection to our work and our business and our purpose that we're willing to say, okay, you're not going to charge this much. You can't do that. You cannot do that. You have to have a business that is bringing in money and you want to think about it in a way where if you were to finally be able to be full-time for your company, how much revenue would you need to make to not only for you to work in your company, but for you to hire help? You can't always be doing everything on our own. So taking it back to your question, answering this question and taking it back to your question about five things to do to get ready. One, figure out how you can make more money. One day, just do a fire round of like 15 to 30 minutes and just think about all the different ways that you can make revenue for your business, then put them in order and see which, what's the top three. And then you could potentially try all three, or you can just try one at a time and say, okay, trying this way, does it work? Trying this way, does it work? Because a B2C model can work. A B2B model can work just depending on how you're structured. That's definitely number one. Number two, again, having your financial house in order. They're going to ask you for your numbers. They're going to ask you for your projections. I would say also included in that number three, work on your pitch. How are you pitching your business? Listen to when other people pitch. What story are they telling? Because even when you go into the bank, right? Yes, they're looking at the numbers, but and they're going to think about your background, but you're also talking to a human being too. 
right? That person could easily be in a position where they're like, hey, we can't give you this money, but I think you have a great idea. Let me connect you with someone else. Because I'll tell you this, different representative at the bank, different outcomes. We are Black women in this world, so I got to keep it a buck. Sometimes I just got to go to a different branch because I know I'm going to get the best service at that branch. So I'm willing to do that. Number four, I would say to the extent that you can, lean in on your community a little bit more. There are people who most likely are around you, who believe in you, who are willing to help you. And to be honest, they probably already are helping you. What I like to do with my friends, what we do is we have brainstorming sessions for each other, right? And sometimes it can be your friends or sometimes it could just be other folks who have businesses that are understanding your struggle as an entrepreneur. And then we literally like, okay, what's the vision on the board? And we tear it apart and then we build it back up and say, have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? I can connect you to this person. I've heard or I know that this way works as opposed to that way, right? That's like building your board, right? You have to have people on that board who understand where you're coming from. And I would say number five, and I know this sounds a little bit more rah-rah, but I would say just keep going. Just keep going. I think it is, for us, we do have to have a passion for our business and what we're building in order to keep going. But what I found is that for Black women in particular, those that have been able to get to six figures or even seven figures, typically it's around five years. And that's at the minimum. There's folks that I know that they've been in business for 10 years. They didn't make their first million until 10 years into the business. But guess what? Less than 3% of women nationwide make a million in their business. So to be a Black woman doing it, you're in the point oh 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 right? in order to be able to make that happen. And so I think that last one, while I said all these other things, I think the last one is the most important. Keep going. Don't stop. Understand that you can pivot your business. Don't be afraid to pivot your business. Don't be afraid to fail. Like even for me, I host the largest commercial real estate conference in the nation. The first real estate event that I have only has six people. And I was like, I can't believe, and I worked really hard. I was like, I can't believe people are not here for this event. Like, how dare they not show up for you? It's not, no, for me, it wasn't that because I'm like, I already know these people. I'm helping you. I can't believe the network doesn't think that this is important. I'm like, commercial real estate is so important to our communities. So for me, it's your loss. I think I'm here another episode to talk about commercial real estate because that's oh yeah, I can do that for sure. I would love to do that. Yes, let's let's book that. Let's yeah, for sure. I would love to. That might have been 2016 or something like that. And now since 2019, I host the largest conference in the nation that does this. All the major banks participate. Heavy hitters participate. People are getting jobs. People are getting funding for their business. People are getting business partners. And had I stopped that because the outcome wasn't what I wanted to be that first time, I wouldn't be where I am here today. So I just use that as an example. Keep going, pivot, keep trying, keep building your network and thinking through the products and services that that you're providing. And what I think from when I started my business is this is a great time to start a business. There are so many more tools for you to use in your business. So you can hire virtual assistants. 
You can, there, there's so many things you can automate now. Like when I started my business, you didn't have all that. We have MailChimp and a dream. Now you can run ads. There's TikTok. There's so many other things. And again, like that can also maybe make you feel overwhelmed because there's too many things. But the great thing about it is choose your channel that works for your particular business model. And after you get that going and you get the funding that you need, the money that you need, which may come through revenue generation, you can then take that and you can invest in hiring someone to maybe manage some of the other aspects of your business. But that is is critically important in, in terms of your growth and being able to get money is like, just don't stop. And you'll find that some of the people that did not want to help you in the beginning are calling you, telling you, oh, I see how well you're doing and I want to help you. And unfortunately, I think it's, it happens like that sometimes where people are like, oh, okay, that's a good idea. Let me see what you can do first. And then I'll help you. And sometimes people maybe feel that way because maybe they, I don't take that personally because I feel like maybe sometimes they may have been like, they not hurt in the past, but maybe burned in the past. And so they're, and people are very sometimes careful with their connections because the thing about it is when somebody makes a connection, I take that so seriously because you are now getting an extension of that relationship. So it says you two connect. The person is going to connect with me because the other person says so. So I have to see that as just as valuable as money because it is, because it can also obviously turn into a business opportunity for me too. So I just say all that to say, keep trying, keep going. You can do it. I think in the next five years, there's going to be a lot more Black millionaires made from having their own business. And all of us can be in that number. So I just want people to keep trying and really don't give up. It, it gets hard though, but definitely just keep going. I like that parting word, just keep going. Adela, thank you so much for joining me. And to my listeners, I hope you enjoyed this episode. If you enjoy it, make sure that you rate, review, and share it with three friends who need to hear it because why keep good content to yourself? Subscribe to the podcast at its new home at the Live Podcast Network and on all streaming platforms. You can find me there. So if you want to be a guest or sponsor the podcast, email me at wheresthefunding at gmail.com and follow me, your host, on LinkedIn, Michelle J. McKenzie. Follow the podcast on Instagram at wheresthefunding underscore podcast and on its LinkedIn page at wheresthefunding podcast. Adiola. Thank you so much. Thank you. It's been a pleasure.